Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Paper Kings, Part 7. I'm looking for a king who will never disappoint me. Recorded Sunday, July 17th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. We're in Mark chapter 11, verse 1, and this begins the week of his kingdom come. This is, we're going to spend over two months now talking about a six-day period of time. The week that Mark describes as the king of the universe taking control. And it begins with a moment where Jesus gives the people the Jesus they want. So let's read Mark chapter 11, verse 1 and following. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. It would have been a donkey, a small, a small animal. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly, back to you shortly. So they went and found the colt, just as he had said, and they untied it. And there were some people there who said, hey, what are you doing? Why are you untying our colt? Where are you taking our colt? And they said, well, the Lord needs it. And then they knew what he had, had prearranged with them, and so they let, it, they let it go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks, and they'd also cut some branches out of the fields, and they made a, a path for him, kind of like a, they rolled out the carpet, so to speak, for this king. And then they shouted this Psalm, from Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they added, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem then, went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So you get a picture of this, and Taylor set it up pretty well, I think, for us. But they're going into Jerusalem. It's just a very short walk, maybe 15, 20 minutes. He chose to ride into Jerusalem to fulfill a prophecy on the back of a donkey. He went through the Golden Gate. This was not the main door. This was another gate. But there would have been a few thousand people in this corridor. It would have made quite a commotion. In five days, many of these same people would be back, and they'd be shouting something else. They'll be shouting, crucify him, because he's the king they no longer want. And so, as I mentioned through this series, we, and we've, I've said this several times, or somebody has, that Mark wrote his gospel, there's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote his specifically to a Roman Gentile audience. And so, he, he puts these stories together that appeal to and, and that the Roman people need to hear and understand, people who are not Jewish. And so if you think about this, he's just trying to get our attention. He's trying to incite some tension within us to say, who is this Jesus that the whole world is talking about? And these Romans would have heard of Jesus already. They would have understood that there's, a, there's stories about him that make him unique to anyone else on earth. And so now Mark is filling in the blanks for them. And he's showing them that there's a challenger to the throne. Now, by the way, if a Roman Caesar would have come into Jerusalem to conquer, 
He would have come through the main gates. He would have come in on a grand chariot or on a, you know, a large horse with a great grand steed, and he would have had an army with him and a lot of pomp and circumstance, but not this king. This is a humble king who came to conquer the universe on the back of a donkey. And in chapter 15, Mark will want the Gentiles to know that a Roman centurion actually stated at the foot of the cross, this truly is the Son of God. And then the resurrection, he'll tell that story, will prove it to them. But today we're talking about the Jesus we want. And, and I think you might agree, if, you're, if, you're any, any, if you have any sense of fairness about you, that, that most all of us have an idea of the Jesus we want. When they shouted, Hosanna, your kingdom come, they were clamoring for a king to be like David, their ancestor, who would come in with an army and conquer and take over, overthrow the current enemy, the Romans. Now, imagine you're one of the Roman soldiers who were there. You would be. You'd have, if you were on duty, you'd be there. And here are these worshipers declaring there's a new king in town, and, and, and they're thinking, how what? Because we brought the king here, and it's the Caesar. And they would see this as rebellion. It'd be kind of like a gathering where there's law enforcement to keep the peace, and it's picking up steam, and the crowd is shouting, defund the police, because that's how it would have sounded to them, like they're being threatened. I just want you to know that, because we're going to see it as we go forward. They shouted, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, a military juggernaut. That's the Jesus they wanted, a king who would come in and take over and kick out the Romans. The Jesus they got is not the one they wanted. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the fact that you may want a God to be this and so, but the God you get is not quite that? And would you agree that oftentimes the Jesus we get is not the one we wanted? It's the prayer that I prayed that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. It's the dream that I have that apparently God's not in on because nothing's falling into place. It's the path that I want to take and apparently God is over here on another one saying, no, you're coming my way, not that way. Let's do a, a quick comparison about, you know, just trying to figure out the Jesus they wanted with the Jesus they got. And let's, when we do comparison, let's not always ask questions about them. Let's instead turn it back on us. And so what do, what do they want from this Jesus? Let's, let's ask the honest question ourselves. Am I getting what I want? from this Jesus. Okay, so here's a comparison. They wanted a Jesus who would solve all their earthly problems. What they got was a Jesus who came to solve their eternal problem. I mean, they had some problems, folks. I mean, for centuries, they had been living under the thumb of various regimes who would come in and just destroy them and annihilate them and, and you know, take them into bondage and and captivity, and then come back in, and the city was destroyed, and so they had to build it up. Then another conqueror would come in and take over. It was just, it was just one 
century after another of that kind of thing happening for them. And so they just wanted a king who would actually give them what they deserved, a, a, a homeland, a country, a, you know, even some power in the region so they could control their own destiny, right? And so for this local savior to come in and get rid of the Roman oppression and the taxes, and instead of prospering a, a Roman a Roman society, it would actually profit them. They'd have prosperity. And this guy was different. He obviously had power over nature. He had power over diseases and, and, and the health concerns of people in his country. He had, he, had, he had power, the kind of power he could feed people with just a few loaves of bread and, and some fish. He, you know, he, he could even raise the dead. He's already done that. I mean, that's power. And who doesn't want that kind of a, a leader, someone who will deliver me from my biggest problems in life? You know, but here's the thing. The biggest problem that I have, and I may not want to admit this, but it's true. The biggest problem I have, the biggest problem, is someday in a short period of time, I will stand before God in judgment. And, and I've got to be able to stand before that God with the right solution. And so that leads to the next thing that they wanted versus what they got. They wanted a Jesus who would address earthly enemies. Instead, they, they got one that defeated my ultimate enemy. They wanted this Jesus, this leader, this king, to be like David and come in and establish rule over people, over the Romans specifically. What they got was a Jesus who took care of the stranglehold of the sin in my life. You ever been a slave to sin? Not yes. It's, it's when you know you can't escape. It's, it's when you know you're under the stranglehold of sin, and you know that because you don't want to be there anymore, but you just can't get out. Romans 6 talks about how Jesus helps us with this. For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ, with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be in the stranglehold of sin and the, you know, enslaved by it. Because anyone who's died, died as a metaphor, meaning we gave our lives to Jesus and we were baptized into Christ and we were raised with him in new life. Anyone who has died has been set free set free from sin. He came to set me free from that enemy. And I think about those times in my life when I've been in deep rebellion against the King God Most High. When I've lived in rebellion and, and, and couldn't figure out a way to get out of the stranglehold. And I would defend myself. I would say, well, you know, I really need this. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I need this. Because it's the only way I can cope. Or maybe I would say, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, if I don't have this lifestyle, I don't have a lifestyle. And, and okay, you know, I think when we defend ourselves, there's, there's some things about that that we have to work on. But it, just so you know, whatever it is that you're holding on to with that prideful stranglehold, because reality, it's got you. Like, like when, you, when you stand before the God most high, the holy God of the universe in just a few years, okay? In just a few years. And you're soiling yourself because you know what to say. 
you're going to need someone standing next to you saying, my child, my kid, no matter what. Now, he's a righteous king. My willful rejection of him will be met with judgment if that continues. I have to address that. And Jesus has been showing us over and over again, marked story after story that he tells, our enemies are not so much those around us as the one that lives within us. And by the way, most of us are fine with a Jesus who will judge sinners so long as it's not this sinner. There are a lot of sinners that we would just like Jesus to take out, right? And I'll be happy to point them out if you want me to. So that leads to another thing about the Jesus that is the king they got versus the one that they wanted. And here it is. They wanted him to lay judgment on the bad guys. Instead, he came to judge and to deal with the bad guy in me. I mean, they wanted a Jesus who would take out the bad guys. You ever, you, you ever watch a news cycle or listen to it or whatever you do and you think, hey, God, just take them out. What are you waiting for? Get rid of those people. I mean, all the crooks and the greedy mega maniacs and the politicians on the other side of the aisle. Why doesn't he just drop kick all those people to hell? Just get them out of here. You see, week in and week out, day after day, in every news cycle, right, because there's always a news cycle, you see the new bad guy, just get I know you, you probably don't think that way, but maybe I do. But there's a couple problems with that kind of judgmental thinking. Here's the first thing. Problem one, when Jesus returns once and for all to establish a new heaven and a new earth, when he completes all of this, all of those who are not with him will be banished from him forever. And the reason he waits, and even though evil sometimes triumphs, oftentimes, still he waits, he tarries because rebels do repent. And that's a good thing. And this could describe you or someone in your life. Someone who is, has not yet found their way to God, and Jesus hasn't yet laid a hold of them, and if he comes back today, they're out. And he doesn't want that. And that's why he tarries. Because he hasn't closed the door on them, even if you have. Here's a second problem. His judgment will begin with those closest to him. That's what the scripture says. 1 Peter 4, 17. His follower Peter writes this probably 30 years later. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. See, because so, here's the thing. When you're saying sickum to God, are you sure about that? Because the sickum starts with us, and then it moves from us. And I wonder what his judgment will be of us if we don't care about the people who are going to be left out. And, and if you've been in Christianity for any length of time, you have found in many different ways that the Jesus you get is not always the Jesus you want. That's just a reality. But what do you do when that's the case? What do you do in the case when the Jesus that you'd like 
to be working and doing and living and activated in your life is actually a whole different person. Well, first of all, you better expect it. It's because it's guaranteed it's going to be that way. And in a culture like ours, we have so much. We, we believe we're entitled, I think, to easy street. You can deny it, but I think we do. I mean, three years ago, we didn't have this $5 a gallon gas. Three years ago, you know, you could pretty much go anywhere you wanted without hindrance. I mean, other than going through some kind of scanner at an airport. Three years ago, you pretty much could be with people anytime you wanted without worry of any kind of, you know, disease taking control. And I'm going to call that easy street. I mean, I know there was stuff in that that wasn't easy. I understand that. But, 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 we, but the thing about it, when things are going that well, you're not necessarily praising God. Because you kind of think, well, this is the way life is. Life is just pretty good. And you just assume it should be. But you know, when things turn south, you start thinking about end times. I, I, I don't know how many times people, somebody's, somebody's, I've had to have at least twice this week where somebody hey, is this the end times? I'm, I'm just thinking it is. Maybe it is. I mean, honestly, it is because Jesus said, even when he was on earth, this is, now is the end times. So whether that lasts for 2,000 years or 4,000 years, I don't know. I'm not on that committee, but it is the end times. And I will tell you, like, I'm 63. I'm being, I mean, I want to lie, but I am. I'm 63. So end times for me is probably what, in a window of 20 years? And maybe it could be tomorrow. I don't know. So what does it matter? The, the point is, the greatest tests always come in the hard times, not the good times. And that's when we decide if God is good and whether we can trust him. And if I haven't figured that out on the front end, I'm going to have a hard time figuring it out when things go south. And by the way, the enemy always attacks when things go south, when things aren't so good. That's when he starts lying to you big time and saying, see, none of this Bible stuff was ever true. There really isn't a God, or if there is a God, he doesn't care about you. And, 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 and so therefore, just give up. So my point is this, when stuff happens, we need to understand what kind of faith God needs us to have in that time. And the Bible describes the kind of faith that God's asking of us, but a lot of people think that faith is just optimism. People just think, well, if I just believe everything's okay, believe it, achieve it is a statement you hear, believe it, it's going to be fine. Like, just this optimism, right? Some people would say that faith is just a leap into the unknown. Well, I'm going to do this, and I think God's going to catch me, no matter what this is. And oftentimes, this is a really bad decision, by the way. I'm just going to jump off this cliff, and God's going to swoop in and save me because I have faith. Now, I think that's unrealistic. I personally am kind of a cooptimist. You know what a cooptimist is? I made the word up, so you probably don't. A cooptimist, a cooptimist is an optimist who asks questions all the time. A cooptimist. New word for your vocabulary. I'm hoping that when you Google that, like later, it won't be on, but like in six years it will be. So anyway, Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible, please God. Now, what does it faith mean? Is it optimism? Is it blind, blind leaping? No. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, check, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Oh, that's what's in question. 
rewards them who seek him in whatever circumstances may be. The cooptimist has faith in two things regardless of anything that's happening. There is a God, he exists, and that there is reward even if you can't see it right now. And some of you are in a relatively good place right now. You got life going pretty well. This message really does, you're kind of like, you're, Applebee's, you know? And I know there's some of you here today who are going, oh my gosh, I don't know. I, this stuff I'm going through right now, how could I ever trust God? Does he even know? Does he care if there is a God? See, I think sometimes our position with God is, is it, 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 here's the thing, we got to make up our mind who Jesus is, and we need to do that today. Who is Jesus? I mean, is he, is it, is it the Jesus of your desires? Or is it the God who is God? Because that's really the question. I mean, but I know I like, I'm like you, I position myself, I'm like, you know, I want Jesus to be my advisor. Like, you know, an advisor, a good advisor who, hey, let me throw this idea at you, Jesus. What do you think? Eh, I don't like it very much. Okay, thanks for your advice. I do what I want anyway. People treat God that way. Maybe, maybe Jesus could just be my accountant, my management assistant. Now, I don't, I don't have any reason to spend much time with an accountant because I don't have much, but when I'm with an accountant, I, I really want a couple things. I want you to make sure I got enough to do what I got to do or to get me out of the mess I find myself in. And when my resources are not sufficient to get me what I want to get out of that mess, it's kind of foolish for me to blame the accountant. You know, I didn't just give it to the accountant. He's just telling me what's there. So if you think God is your accountant, you treat him that way. I did my part. Now give me what I want. Fix my mess. That's the wrong kind of way to see Jesus. But people do it. Some people see Jesus as their insurance agent. Jesus, I needed to be my blanket policy to cover, cover all the acts of God out of my control. And, and ultimately, I'm just going to do some of this Jesus stuff because what if it's true? Like what if it's true that he is truly God's son and he did go to a cross and die on a cross and was raised from the dead after he left that cross? I mean, if that's true and that means that I, I'm going to make sure I got the insurance policy. Some people want Jesus to be my, their survey worker. Like, hey, Scott, what do you think? How am I running the world? Do you like it? Can I change some things? How am I doing God? Am I, am I making your life better? As if I have any opinion or matter of that, right? So, but people do this. God, if you ask me, I think you could do this better. <laughs> and since you were that way, since you're not making it better, I really don't want anything to do with you. That's kind of like me saying, well, what if the way that gravity is I don't like it. Well, tough nuts. I mean, I still, if I go up in an airplane and they tell me to jump out, I am going to have a parachute on. And no matter what. I don't, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. And God doesn't need my approval in life. He just doesn't. And if, if I can understand that, I'm going to be a healthier human being. God isn't polling the people. And he certainly isn't asking my advice on how to run the world. 
So here's a question that really I don't really want to answer. Do I have a Jesus that lines up with my values? Or am I lining up with his values? Am I expecting God to conform to my beliefs, my worldview? It's the person who says, I just don't think Jesus would do that. Or the one who says, well, I think I'll just live my life this way, even though in my case it's not what he prescribes as his way. Or since I expect God wants to make me happy, why wouldn't I get this? And if he's not going to give me this, so much for him. Or the idea, I don't think a loving God wants me to spend eternity in hell. Well, you're right about that. He doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. That's abundantly clear. That's why he went to hell for you. But the statement, I don't think a loving God would allow a person to spend eternity in hell, that's an obstinate statement. That's a statement challenging the authority of God. It's not consistent with the words of Jesus. What about the person who says, well, there's many paths to God. Jesus may be one of them. Well, to be honest, if he says holiness tops my happiness, if he says there's eternal ramifications to rejecting him, I'm taking his word over yours, period. You know, we're coming down to the crucial points of Jesus' ministry on earth, the six-day period. It's, it's going to be amazing. I hope you're here to join us in this, in this journey with him. But I will tell you, and, and I think it's just a point of honesty that I'm going to say, it's the height of arrogance to say to him, you got to prove it to me. you got to do it my way or it's the highway. You exist to serve me, God. That's just like the people who were praising him on Palm Sunday, but who were shouting crucify him on, on Friday. See, what do we do when Jesus is the God we don't want? It has to start with trust. Trust that it's just the beginning. Have you ever thought about how we are so much like little kids? And I talk about this quite a bit here. You'll hear me say stuff like this. But man, you could give a six-year-old the choice between a really cool toy, like let's say a bicycle, a brand new bicycle, because that's my generation, or a $50,000 savings bond for college in the future. I guarantee you that six-year-old almost every time, without exception, is going to take that bicycle. Because it's right here. It's right before us. But, but the fact is, they can't see beyond the moment, and I'm so much that way too. I mean, i got to make up my mind who he is. And then i got to trust that the future is in his hands and it's okay. And I totally understand that many of you are going through stuff right now in your life where you're going, I don't know if I can believe anything about God, let alone what this guy is saying about him. Life's confusing. Sometimes it's downright painful. But it's just the beginning. Just the beginning. And God is still the secret. The secret to eternity and the secret that's opened up by your faith. And there are going to be times when the Jesus you get is not the God you want. But he's still there. And he's still saying, do you trust me? And Lord, as we commune today, we're saying we trust you. It's just another way 
that we come back to you, back to the center, and we say, despite what's happening in our life, what we're seeing around us, the fears this world's trying to inflict on us, Lord, when I come to this moment, I'm still saying there is a God. He is Jesus. He proved it. His death, burial, and resurrection solidified life for me for eternity. I celebrate you. In this cup, in this loaf, I celebrate you, the God who loves me. Because it's just simply a real paper king to somehow think that Jesus should do God my way. It just is. And I, I just, it's the height of arrogance for me to think that way. Let me show you what happens here. So remember in verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem after this big, yeah, king, praise God. He goes into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, that seems like such an insignificant little statement. But I want you to see what happened here. He's praised as the king coming to conquer the Romans. He walks into the temple area, and he looks around. And I wonder what he saw. The temple, the heartbeat of the nation, throbbing with activity. It represented the worship that lifted up to God in the world. That's what it was supposed to be. He looked at it, and I know what he saw. He saw commercialism, money changers, exploiting people for profit, corruption, injustice. He saw dirt, filth, squalor, pride, hypocrisy, and haughtiness. He saw religious ceremonies that were being carried out with any meaning or passion. And he didn't say a word. He said to the boys, let's go. He walked down back to the campsite because he knew he was coming back the next day. And the next day, he's going to deal with worship. He's going to deal with the heart of the people. And it's going to be hard. And I think sometimes we, this is, I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if God would just come into our church service and say, oh, that's the way it is. That when I look at this person raising their hands in worship or singing to the Lord or you know, got their Bible opened up and they're paying attention and they're thinking about God, wouldn't it be great if our Jesus just did that and then he left for six days and came back for an hour next week? But he doesn't do that. See, he, he's with us all the time. He catches us in the bedroom and the kitchen and the office and, and the schoolroom and, and, and in the car and, he, and he, he looks around and he says, you know, there's some things got to change here. And he makes the changes. It all seemed great with the palm branches and the shouts on Sunday. But he's a 24-7, 365 lifelong Jesus. And next week we're going to go deeper with that. I'm praying you'll come back and go with us. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.